Hey, hey, welcome to Commit and Push, episode number two. I'm Yasha Prihotko, and I'm going to be your host for today. We're going to discuss an extremely important topic. It's about asset caching. If you don't know what asset caching is, don't worry. I'm going to describe it in great detail. If you do know what it is, well, hopefully I can refresh some of that information, or maybe I got something wrong and you can correct me. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Yasha from Russia. All right, so I think a good place to start with asset caching is maybe talking about what are these assets. There are actually different types of static assets. We have HTML pages with .html extension. We have JavaScript files. We have CSS files. There are also images. So all of these are static assets. They're not being generated usually on the fly. It's not an API response in, in the form of JSON or whatever other format you have your APIs produce, like GraphQL. They're usually files that rarely change, if ever. And if they rarely change, well, you can cache them. You can cache them in a browser on a client's computer. You can cache them on a web server. You can cache them on the CDN. So with caching these assets, you gain a lot of performance. You gain faster loading times on your website. And therefore, your customers will more likely to stay on your website for longer. They're more likely to click between different pages. Your website is more likely to be ranked at the top on Google results. So when you load a page, your browser would normally download a bunch of different static assets. It would download the index.html, then go ahead and fetch some JavaScript files that are mentioned in the HTML file, CSS, maybe some fonts, images. And depending what cache control header those files come in with, it might decide to cache those files. Your browser might also be downloading those files, not straight from your server, but let's say from some intermediary like a CDN. A CDN is essentially a, it's a network of different servers all around the world. And instead of going to a North American server when you're in Australia, you're going to an Australian server when you're in Australia. And that file might be on that server or might not be. If it is there, that web server will just serve that file to me. And if it's not there, it's going to go and fetch it from the other location, let's say in North America, then cache that file in the location in Australia and serve that file to me. Next time, whenever there is going to be a new visitor from a similar location, it's going to just see, oh, do I have this file cached somewhere locally? And if it is in the web server's cache, then it would serve that file from their network. So a CDN, which stands for Content Delivery Network. It's a good idea to cache those files in the CDN as well so that the customer doesn't have to go all the way to a central location. And you can instruct the CDN how to cache your file through the same cache control header. So when I'm loading a website, usually you want to make sure that your HTML file that's being loaded, so index.html, is never cached. By doing so, you're ensuring that if there is a new 
updates to your website, your clients can get them right away. So if your index.html is not cached, your users will always get the fresh HTML version of your website. And that HTML file would usually refer to what CSS and JavaScript files to load. Those files should always have a hash in their name, or at least a version, to ensure that, let's say, if, if it's a JavaScript file, app.js is not the thing that's being cached. We're going to cache this file. So if you're going to cache app.js, that makes it impossible to cache it indefinitely because the next version of the app of that file is also going to be app.js. What you want to do instead is generate a file name such that app.hash of that file and then .js. Or you can do app.version.js. So every single time you have a new update, that the file name changes. Now that file is going to be cached indefinitely or for as long as possible. Same deal with CSS. So you would want to generate like styles.hash.css. Now, usually, of course, you also want to make sure you're using some sort of bundling so that maybe you are loading your node module separately from the main application. I'm not going to get into bundling in this episode, but you definitely want to make sure that the files that you're in control of, that you're usually changing, they're going to be delivered separately from the files that are rarely going to be changing, like node modules. And, you know, furthermore, if I were to use Next.js, for example, it would also ensure that the JavaScript that's being loaded is only needed for the page that I'm on. So if I'm visiting my profile, the JavaScript for, I don't know, the homepage isn't going to get sent to me. So those are the kind of basics in terms of the rules. Again, your HTML file is never cached. Your JavaScript file must have a unique name and, and should be cached. And your CSS file should be cached and also should have a, a unique name. Okay, so how do we do this? There is a very useful header called cache control hyphenated. And it comes with different directives. Directives are basically just different rules that you can set up separated by commas. Stuff like max age or whether or not to cache the file at all or to cache it on the intermediaries, like on the CDN or not. So there is a whole range of different kind of combinations that you can put together. We're going to cover two of those combinations today, which is essentially cache this file or don't cache this file at all. And that would apply to both the CDN or any of the intermediaries as well as the browser. All right, so how do we make sure that a file is cached by the browser as well as by an intermediary? So JavaScript, CSS, images, it's going to be the same set of rules. In order to cache those, you can set a max age of your file and your max age essentially just tells the browser, hey, cache this file for this long. And the rule is that if you have a file that's never going to change, meaning you can cache it for a long time, you set the max age of the file to one year in seconds. 
So it's 31536000. It essentially just instructs the browser to, hey, keep this file in your cache for a year. And what's going to happen? Well, if you refresh the page, that specific file won't be fetched from the server it previously got it from. Instead, it will just use the cached version of it. Browsers also try to revalidate the file, even if it's supposed to cache it for a long period of time. It essentially just checks, hey, is there a new version of that file from time to time? Modern best practice for static resources is to include a version or a hash in the URL. That's called cache busting. However, even if we do that, our browser will still revalidate those assets. Since we know they would never change, we can add another directive. It's called immutable. It tells the browser that the file will never change while it's fresh and you don't need to revalidate it. And there is one more thing. You also want to make sure that file is cached on your CDN. To do that, you want to add another directive. It's called public. It's the opposite of private. And public just makes sure that any intermediaries uh, between your server and the client's browser are allowed to cache that file. You're essentially saying that this file is not unique to the user and it's okay to cache it. So putting this all together, all as a single value inside of a cache control header would instruct your browser to cache that file for a year. So again, cache control is the name of the header and the value public comma max dash age equals 3153600 comma immutable. We have a public file that's cached for a year. It's never going to change. Pretty much every single browser nowadays would cache this file and it won't fetch a new one unless you force it with like control shift F5 or some other way. So now we know how to cache something for a long time. What about making sure something never get cached? That's an interesting one. You would think this is the default behavior. Well, it is not. So one way to do it is, first of all, we'll focus, we'll focus on the browser. We'll say, hey, don't cache this file. No cache is one directive you should use. It essentially just means cache this file, but revalidate it every time. There is another one called no store, which just means no store. Usually using these together is a good practice. And then another thing you want to ensure is that your intermediaries, like your CDN, is not caching that file either. So you want to make sure that you set the private directory. So in other words, you would want to set cache control as the header, and then directives are private, no cache, no store. There is one other directive that I usually use is must revalidate. It essentially just indicates that, hey, you can use this file as long as it's fresh. But if that file becomes stale, it must be validated with the origin server. So it's, again, you want to be as explicit as possible for different types of web browsers. So I would normally set uh, this header for files that I don't want to have cached. Cache control, colon, no cache, no store, must revalidate private. And those should usually be enough to make sure that that file doesn't get cached anywhere in the browser or on your CDN. There was actually one other thing that I had to do. 
if you do use Cloudflare as your CDN, which is something I do, I love, I love Cloudflare, there is this one default setting that you're going to have to change. Basically, in their cache settings, there is a default setting that essentially says, hey, if a file has cache control max age set to something less than four hours, then apply this four hour max age limit on it, which is not useful in this case because I want to make sure this file does not get cached at all, right? So you want to disable that setting. You, you just turn that off and you tell Cloudflare to respect the cache control headers that you're setting yourself. All right, another thing I would like to talk about is cache busting. So it's really important to understand this technique. Maybe you made a mistake and you rolled out the same set of files, but they actually are different, but they have the same file names. So you can bust that cache. You can provide a URL and be like, hey, Cloudflare, let's say we're busting on the CDN in this scenario. Hey, Cloudflare, erase everything that's under this URL. So my app.hashname.js, delete that. Another way to have cache busting on the browser side is to, well, I've already kind of given a lot of hints about this, is to make sure that the file name is unique of, of your cached assets. So maybe you change the hash name or you change the version of your file. You can either change the actual file name or most browsers by now also look at the query parameters. So you can have your app .js question mark v1 or v2. And the same rules are usually applied to images. Images would normally come with unique file names, so you can cache those as on your CDN and in the browser as well. I've actually built like an image resizer service that like we usually store one copy of an image on GCP or S3 on GCS or S3 and whenever you're loading up a web page, you want to make sure that that file is scaled appropriately to your screen size, to whatever container it's being loaded in. So let's say I have an image that's like 3000 pixels width, but I'm loading it in a tiny like 100 pixels box. So I want to make sure that I'm not loading that file of, you know, 3000 pixels. Maybe let's do like it's a hundred pixels with box, so we'll do two hundred pixels for render displays. So you can do a question mark at the end of that URL of the image, question mark, and then set the width that you prefer. So W equals two hundred. And if that file doesn't already exist on the CDN, it's gonna contact the image resizing service, ask it for the for the image of the new size fetch it from there, pick it up, and then store it in cache so that the next time somebody needs that specific image of that specific width, it's not going to make a whole trip back to that server. Instead, it's just the CDN is just going to grab it from its cache. Super, super useful. So you can apply the same caching rules on images, exactly the same. Okay, there is one more thing I wanted to talk about. We've covered how to cache images, how to cache CSS, JavaScript files. You can do the same thing with other stuff like fonts. We talked about index.html. Now, what if 
I run a company where my product is a JavaScript file, which other businesses would need to put into their website. So companies like Intercom. Intercom is a very, very popular tool for adding the communication piece on your website. So if a customer is stuck or has questions, they can chat with somebody. But it's nowadays it's a lot more than that. But the product that I wanted to highlight is they have a JavaScript file which you can drop into your website and have a little chat bubble show up so that your customers can chat with you. So how do they make sure that the new version of that same app is being deployed on time? So as soon as as I press deploy and all the files are built and uploaded to where they need to be uploaded, every single website has now the new version of Intercom. Plus, I also want to make sure that those files are cached on browsers, they're cached on CDNs. So it's a little tricky, but it's doable. Basically, the whole challenge here is that you don't have an index.html file. You only have your JavaScript, CSS, and that's kind of it, right? So the solution here is that your index.js is your index.html in terms of you do not want to cache that index.js. You want to make sure that index.js is also as lightweight as possible. There are different ways in doing that. For example, you can make sure that your index.js the only thing that it does is it's going to fetch the right version of your actual application, right? So let's say you have your index.js. Once it's being loaded, then it fetches app.hash.js of a specific hash. Index.js is not cached, so it knows what is the latest version of app.js file. And then you could either have your CSS already embedded in your index.js and then like have it written to DOM. Or you could have it so that your JavaScript then will have to go and fetch your style sheet of a specific hash name and then have it written into DOM. The only downside of doing it that way is that you'll get a quick flash of unstyled contents because it's going to need to actually go and fetch the styles, but things are already rendering. So that's like one downside, but you know, you can solve that issue with making sure that your styles are inside of that index.js. And usually it's good enough. Your styles are not that heavy. So not having to cache them is fine. And again, the other thing, aside from app.js, are your node modules. You then would want to make sure that your dependencies that you don't own are being loaded at least as a separate file. This way you're having your index.js that's not cached, your app.hashname.js indefinitely cached potentially your style sheet as well, if it's not being shipped together with index.js. And then finally, your dependencies, your node modules. So like vendors.hashname.js. And then that way, whenever you make a new deployment, let's say I only updated some logic in my app, the only two things that are actually going to be fetched from the server are index.js because it's not cached, and then the new version of 
app.hashname.js. Now, how do you actually set these headers on the files that are being served? Well, it really depends on how you're serving these files. If you're serving them from your S3 bucket or from your GCP, like from your GCS, you would set those headers on the files inside of those buckets. So normally, for example, if you're working with Google Cloud Storage, when you're uploading those files with JSUtil, you can set the headers that you want on those files. And then Cloudflare is going to respect those headers. Again, don't forget to turn off the default setting on Cloudflare, otherwise all of your files, even with max age zero, are going to have four hours minimum of max age. All right, so in conclusion, you want to make sure that you're always caching your files. The only exception is the initial file that the browser loads, which is usually index.html, but not always. It could also be index.js, depending on the type of application you're having. Everything else that's being loaded should be indefinitely cached or aka one year. And they should usually come with unique file names in case of your styles and your JavaScript. It should either have a hash name in the file name or a version appended as a, as a query parameter. So I'd like to close today's episode by telling you something I've recently learned. I've personally been on the workflow orchestrator wormhole. If you listen to the last couple episodes, in the zeroth episode I mentioned workflow orchestrators, and then last episode was basically just on that. So in the past week, I've kind of played around with a few of them. And the one that really stood out that is super interesting, has its own pros and cons, is Argo workflows. So Argo is a set of different tools, of different projects that help you build out different data pipelines. They also have a CICD project, which essentially uses the other two projects. So the other two projects are Argo workflows and then Argo, I think it's called events. It essentially your workflow, your orchestrator, as well as the actual like tasks are run on a Kubernetes cluster. So it's very easy to install. You just run Helm install and they provide Helm charts. And it would basically install two things. One is the workflow orchestrator and the other one is the server. So it's super simple to get started with. And the syntax is very, very familiar. Traditionally CI flows have been described in YAML files, like in GitHub Actions, for example, or Circle CI, or we use Semaphore CI. And normally you would just describe a series of steps as a YAML array. Here you can provide the image for every single step to run. So for example, if you want to run just some basic bash code, you can do that. If you need something more elaborate, like maybe running a, I don't know, some GSUtil step to copy some files over, you can start a container that has that installed. Comparing to other workflow orchestrators, it has a few downsides. So for example, local developments is all right 
I wouldn't say it's like it's the worst. I think Airflow is probably the worst, but you do have to have a Kubernetes cluster, obviously. It's it's running on Kubernetes and it's expecting to run Kubernetes pods as your steps. So if you're working locally, you have to make sure you have it installed, which is not that bad. You can install it in many different ways. Another thing is the lack of integrations. So a lot of the stuff that you want to do with Argo seems at least to me that it would have a lot of overhead if I wanted to run, let's say, great expectations. There is no official great expectation support for it, which is not that big of a deal. You can still run your Python code, which is what like great expectations is written in and how to use it. So you can just create a new app that will you know, go step by step and run your great expectations test suites. It also doesn't have direct integrations or plugins for different notification services like PagerDuty, OpsGenie, Slack. And again, I feel like I'm just complaining, but like the other orchestrators do have these things and it's very easy to send notifications. But here, you're going to have to do like a curl command and hit some webhook. Or if you want to use Node, like you can do that too, but you're going to have to do that yourself. It's a little bit more manual than the other platforms when it comes to different integrations. It also does not support sensors out of the box. So if you wanted to, let's say, start your pipeline based on some change, let's say a file is changed at some URL or at some GCS bucket, you need to install the other project that I mentioned, Argo Events Framework, which is you know an additional overhead. So it's it seems that anything you want to do with Argo that's kind of like outside of its core functionality, you have to do that yourself. You have to build that thing out yourself, which is not that bad, but you know, comparing to other orchestrators. It's kind of shady. And then lastly, I think the other interesting thing is if you do want to write some Python code to kind of define your workflow steps instead of doing it in YAML, you can use a project called Hera, Hera, I don't know, H-E-R-A. It's a Python SDK for Argo. So you know you have options here how you how you can create your pipeline. Yeah, let me know if I got anything wrong in this episode. I tried to be as detailed as possible. There are you know many ways to skin a cat. So I think in general I didn't make any big mistakes. But you know if I can improve in any way, let me know. Okay, that's been it. My question to you all: What are some survival tips when it comes to caching? What have you experienced that helped you? Thank you for listening, and I'll see you later.